Welcome to Get in the Ring with DJ D. Kooks here, and I am your host, DJ D. Kooks, being redundant again, as I have Chris Zellner of the Exile on Bad Street podcast with me, and of and the Lucha Report on the DVDR message board. How are you doing, Chris? Good, Kooks. How about you? Good. You're calling me Kooks. That's awesome. No, it- <laughs> Yeah, so, so first off, what are your earliest memories of being a wrestling fan? Oh God, uh, I re- my my dad was a wrestling fan. My brothers are wrestling fans. So wrestling was on the television, and it, growing up in Metro Atlanta, and you know, with TBS having the strong penetration it did, and you know, having the history here that. It, I remember, you know, stuff from like when I was five years old, you know, I was watching on television, Buzz Sawyer and Tommy Rich and stuff like that. So, yeah, I've just been a fan ever since. 30 years plus, I guess. Wow. What was your favorite favorite year as a wrestling fan and and three of your favorite matches from that year and angles that you remember? Oh, God. Um, oh. 89 was a great year because uh, I had just, I was just starting to understand better the business. And um, I got exposed to uh, new kinds of wrestling. Like that's the first time I ever saw Lucha Libre. Because um, we got Galavision on our cable system. And um, I, I had a friend that moved in. To, the, to my town that was from Japan and he was a huge wrestling fan too and he would get the tapes from from Japan direct like a, a week or two after they aired so I was able to watch Japanese television at that age plus I, that was also the first time I ever saw the Wrestling Observer newsletter so there was a lot going on that year as far as like favorite matches I mean god 89 is full of them uh, Flair Funk from the Great American Bash um Chinru and Jumbo. Wow. Uh, the Budokan. Um, wow. Uh, trying to think about another um, Shoot, Flair Steamboat. Uh, any, uh, my favorite one of those matches was the Clash Master in New Orleans, the second one. And, uh, yeah, I'm, if I was to pick three off the top of my head, those would be the three from that year. Angle-wise, oh, God, NWA was full of angles that year with, the, you know, the Flair Sting JTEX feud, um, Lex Luger heel turn, uh, it, it just a lot of great stuff that year. Um, you talk about '89 being this banner year for the for wrestling as a whole because the WWF was hot, WCW was hot, Japanese All Japan was just getting on the rise. I don't know about New Japan at that time, and was Lucha pretty hot at that time too? Yeah, Lucha was starting to get get hot because it was now starting to be on television nationally in the country. Before it was just um, regionally televised. So, and yes, the, the, 
the boom, the early boom, of the early '90s was starting in '89. So yeah, it it was picking up. In New Japan, you had uh, the rise of Shinya Hashimoto. Yeah. That year, so there was a lot going on then. Uh, the Russians was in there. Uh, yeah, they had a lot of stuff going on. Choshu was booking. They were starting to, you know, they were starting to get real hot then. So yeah, just and, and we had you know some local independence that was running the area that was pretty good so yeah and, and like I said WWF had a pretty good year as well that year was Savage turning heels so yeah it, it was probably my, the first year that like I said I really understood what was really going on that all everything like like you were smarting up to the business in 89 that was my next question when like you were smarting up to the business and how did it evolve in you being a fan knew wrestling was fake because my brothers told me that <laughs> I never believed it was real and I, I, I had my favorites I, was, I rooted for but I always I always knew going in that yeah the, the finishes were predetermined so I was never one that believed it was real so I, I guess I was a kind of a different deal it's like you know like you know I was also really didn't believe in Santa Claus either because I never was told that, you know, Santa Claus was real. So, I don't know, it's just one of those things. Uh, talk about the tape trading days and the early days of being a fan, a smart fan in those days and getting the Observer and whatnot. And at what lengths did you have to take in order to, to fulfill your passion of wrestling? Well, I, I didn't take... Dude, I didn't deal in tapes till I got I th- got the internet later on in the 90s. But I would go to the the, the movie stores and, and rent tapes and stuff like that. And of course, I bought the we got the pay per views when that became available on, on the cable and stuff like that. So yeah, I I, I, I would like every week I would rent out at least one or two like cost in videos or old pay per views and stuff like that and. Uh, I guess I, I would elite. I, I guess I can admit this. I legally pirated them. <laughs> I had two VCRs, so I would copy it for my own, you know, on my own tape. So uh, yeah, that's that's the way. And I would watch all the television and stuff like that. And it wasn't until the, the like, like I said, until I got the internet that uh, I started buying tapes online. And um, back then, it was totally different. You know, now if you bought DVDs. I mean, you could spend as low as four dollars from some dealers and stuff like that. And back then, if you bought like one tape, you were spending about twenty bucks just for one tape. Wow! So, and that could be two hour a two hour tape. These dealers would not, you know, price it on the hour. It was just the tape. So uh, it was an interesting time period. And the, the, you know, the time difference in getting stuff. You know, now you can get it day of online or, or, or on YouTube or Daily Motion or wherever, you know, back then if a show aired, like in Japan, if you didn't have the direct hookup, you know, you could, you'd be waiting almost a month. Right. So, and plus, it also, you know, I really was um, getting older tapes back then, you know, I would buy old Georgia, old Mid-South, old Memphis, old WWF. I was I was going mainly for the old stuff. And it, and I 
would buy some of the international stuff, but you know, and then it evolved to buying more international stuff, the old stuff, in the in the in the two thousands and stuff like that. But yeah, that's how I got started in it. The video stores had like old these old tapes, or or you bought you initially bought them online, and then and then you know. Well, you know, the video stores had the Coliseum. They got the Coliseum Video uh, and uh, Turner Home Entertainment videos. Ah. So you you would get the commercial tapes. Yeah. I mean, there were there were you know Japanese video stores in Atlanta. I know that were selling Japanese television. But like I said, I had a friend that you know lived in my town. For he lived here for about four or five years, and uh, that's why I was watching Japanese television that way. So during the early glory years, you were watching Japanese television through your friend and and discovering guys like Kobashi, Kawada that yeah. way. Uh, can you touch on the influence of wrestling writers such as Dave Meltzer, Wade Keller, Mike Mooneyham, Bill Apter had on the wrestling product, and what and how did they influence your opinions? Oh well, you know, I bought the Apter mags. I'm, the first one I bought, I was like five or six years old, and my brothers had them too. And uh, yeah, I, I, I love buying the mags. And after, yeah, the after mags was, you know, I, that was a way to see stuff that I couldn't see. Although, you know, eventually Joe Petticino started those superstars of wrestling in Atlanta, and it got to a point there in the latter half of the decade where, you know, if you live where I lived at, which is in between Atlanta and Macon. You could get about twelve hours straight of wrestling on Saturdays. Wow! Every Saturday, you know, between the, between all the different shows and channels. So, so yeah, yeah, that was a big deal. And as far as yeah, like I said, the first time I, I, I read, read Meltzer was '89, and then I, you know, started following when he went and wrote for the National, which is a national newspaper, magazine type deal. And uh, it wasn't until the mid '90s. When I started really getting online, is when I started, you know, reading Wade Keller and seeing the old goals and stuff like that. So, yeah, it was it was interesting always to read that stuff. You know, it was, it, it they talked about the stuff that you know you didn't see in Aftermags, no doubt. I mean, Aftermags was all kayfabe and stuff like that. Although that started to change in the '90s a little bit, but um, yeah, it just it had a different context to the business. All right. Talk about the early days of the IWC and how you became involved in that community and what was the first message board you became a part of? Well, um, I started reading like RSPW, which was a news group back then, which those things are ancient now to these days, the old <laughs> news groups. But that's where a lot of the the guys that, you know, started the message boards down the line, that's where they started. Um that's where Dave Shearer was starting at, you know, and Dean Rasmus and Bill Schneider from DVBR and Frank Jewett and John D. Williams from the other arena and and uh, Scott Keith and CRZ. And there's a lot, of, you know, a lot of the legends was on there, Bob Barnett. Um, yeah, that's, I, I was mainly a lurker for, for the first couple of years I was online. And then the first actual message board that I actually participated on was the Wrestling Classics message board. Which was a, a pretty great board in that when it started, you know, and you, you got to talk old school wrestling. Which at that time, most of the wrestling internet discussion was basically current stuff or you know international. There wasn't a lot of places where you could talk 
stuff. And when that started up, that appealed to me because that's what I was into at the time. And then through there, I, I was lurking at DVR for a while. And uh, Anthony Gankarski was one of the uh, DVR players. He posted on Klaxus. He was like, he sent me a message like, hey, man, come over and DVR, you know, and post on our board. And that's, I started posting there in like 2000. And I've been posting ever since. Wow. Uh, did the black market for wrestling tapes and DVDs grow as the internet grew? And how did the DVDR board come about? Oh, man. Yeah, the black, the, the black market grew heavily. I mean, yeah, it was always there. <laughs> Through the, you know, I mean, people would advertise in the Observer and stuff, stuff like that. It was all underground, though. But, yeah, it got... It got to be big as the internet started because that was the way for more people to communicate with each other. And uh, you were able to use email to email your stuff to them instead of having to write down a list and send it through uh, snail mail. So, yeah, it made everything easier to start off with. And then, of course, when, when PayPal started up, it, that made it a whole lot easier. So you could actually transfer your money online. So that was a big deal. And as far as DVR, like I said, it basically started from RSPW. And uh, they launched the message board in the late 90s. And they, they, they hit it big when they did the Best of the 90s project, which now, I mean, that's over 15 years old. And I said, just grew and grew from there. And it was a place where you could talk about everything in wrestling and everything in, in pop culture in general. And it was a cool community because it, it, it felt like a family at the time. You know, there, yeah, there were always some rabble rousers and stuff like that, but it didn't go over the top. It would be until later on in the 2000s when you started getting a different breed of people on the board and dragged the board down and stuff like that. You know, it's still you know, a really good place to go, but um, it, yeah, it's just, it's just a different breed of fans that was coming in. Wow, they had the different type of attitudes and stuff like that. So, yeah. You, so even though you came from a southern wrestling background, uh, you were more more of the Turner broadcasting thing. But were you a fan of the WWF? Yeah, I was a fan, but you know, if you you know put a gun to my head, I was gonna pick NWA. I mean, that's my local, I mean, that's where I, you know, they ran shows everywhere in my area. So I was able to get behind them more as a local deal. It's like a, being a fan of a local sports team. But you're able to appreciate, you know, the other sports teams as well. And so, yeah, it was different and stuff like that. But, yeah, I, I like WWF. Yeah, sure. That's what I said. I got, I, I used to try to get as many costumes on videos as I could. What's your so favorite? It was, just, it, it was cool to watch. What's your favorite Coliseum home video or Turner home video that is still in your collection today? Oh, wow. Um, my, my favorite Turner home video is probably uh, Great American Bash 87 because it's got the first War Games match on there, which I was at live at the Omni. And uh, that's just that's one of my all-time favorite matches, if not my all-time favorite match. Um, Cost in video. Uh, they had some good ones back in the when they started doing, doing like these little theme uh, deals where they would do skits and stuff with Lord Alfred Hayes and Sean Mooney. Those are always pretty good. Um, 
I think maybe Super Tape One, the, the Super Tape One or Super Tape Two, were probably my favorites because they really put some really strong matches on there because they were pushing the Super Tape concept. So I'd go with those. Although WrestleMania Three was one I've watched probably more than anything else over the years, so that's up there as well. Um. I know this has probably been beating over the head, but any comparisons between the NWA style and the WWF style that you've noticed over the years of being a wrestling fan? Well, of course. You know, uh, NWA style was more, um, I'd say, mat-based, kind of more athletic, uh, more hard-hitting, while WWF was more of the uh, show business entertainment style. more gimmicks. Uh, I mean, that's, that's probably the biggest difference. You know, it, it kind of got, got blurred as time went on. But, uh, yeah, I mean, so in the late 80s, yeah, there, there were big differences. And like I said, as the 90s went on, that's when, you know, they, they both started to mirror each other. But, uh, you know, more blood, NWA, more guts, and stuff like that. That, that was the bigger difference. Talk about your live experiences as a kid and as you got older, too. Um, what were some of the events you went to? What were some of the uh, experiences you had and matches you saw live? Yeah, I would go to the Omni. Um, that was where the, the main shows were at in the NWA WCW promotion. Uh, Starcade 89, Starcade 92. Um, i trying to think what else was that. What else was big shows there? Uh, God, they had show, big shows every month. I mean, they ran every month. And um, like Madison Square I'm Garden, go to the TV tapings at different times. They had TV tapings in Marietta, which was right in the road at Cop County Civic Center, Megan Coliseum in Macon, Municipal Auditorium in Columbus. So I mean, there there were shows always around the area. Um, yeah, so there, there, was, there were lots of flair. A lot of flare matches, you know, always, you know, stand out. Um, God, I mean, it's just a, a lot, a lot of stuff. Yeah. What made Flair so good live that you got to experience him with? Flair always put out the best they could, no matter what. You always knew what you were going to get Ric Flair. And he's going to, whoever was against, let's get Nikita Koloff. Or Lex Luger, or Sting, or Dusty, or Magnum TA, or um, Steamboat, or even you know, guys like Michael Hayes, um, whoever he was working at the time, you were going, you were going to get a, a, a really great performance from Flair, and his charisma was, you know, as good as anybody ever. So, wow, that, that was one thing about Flair. You always knew he was going to get something good. Who else stood out to you watching them live? Well, the Road Warriors. Uh, they had they had that aura and presence. Um, Arn Anderson. I always love watching Arn Anderson live. Uh, I liked Sting a lot. I was a, I was a Sting fan. Uh, the fans were always hot for him and stuff. He may not have translated it to business, but he was, uh, you know, the uh, crowd favorite Luger. Luke was really good. Um, God, Midnight Express, definitely. Um, I'm trying to think of who else here. Muda, great Muda, of course. 
for the short time that he was around. Um, and then, you know, later on, you know, watching guys like Ray Jr. and Eddie and, you know, guys like that, Malenko, Benoit, whatever, you know, whenever they came through. So, yeah, Stan Hansen, another guy. So Vader, I can't forget Vader. I mean, yeah, just a lot of, well, I saw a lot of the greats. Wow. That is, that is incredible that you've seen every, a lot of people that I never had the opportunity to see except on tape or what, or on, on, uh, the WWE Network, which is a great resource, but it could be oh, better. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. The WWE Network is, I, I, I tell everyone to, to get that. I mean, yeah, just for the, the fact that you can get the pay-per-views alone for, for that price, but the, the, the archive they do have is, you know, is just a, a, a valuable resource, like you said. And, and I was lucky to be living in, in the Atlanta area that I was able to, to have these shows. You know, I, I, I could have been living in, you know, New Mexico or something like that, and hardly ever anybody come to town or even, you know, go up in the Dakotas and Wyoming. Stuff like that. It was just lucky that I was living in the place where Jim Ross used to say the capital of wrestling was Atlanta, Georgia. And right. It was. And I, I feel fortunate over the years of to go to many great wrestling events as well because I got to. I I'm from Philadelphia, as you know, as you know, and I live right outside the city, and and I got to go to the Rumble this year. I got to go to a couple of Ring of Honor, New Japan. Stuff. Uh, yeah, Philadelphia has kind of like become like a, a new version of Atlanta in a lot of ways over the, the past, you know, 15 years or so. Well, even going back to really ECW, you know, Atlanta, Atlanta, you know, after WCW started to go way national and stuff like that and then eventually died, you know, this market only gets wrestling every so often instead of having multiple shows a month. Now, I mean, Philadelphia has shows all the time up there and gets all these great independent shows. So, yeah, Philadelphia and New York, they're definitely uh, wrestling hotbeds right now. Man, yeah. Atlanta's making a, a comeback in its own way. There's a lot of independents running the area and stuff like that. So, yeah. Florida's making better, a comeback, but, yeah, too. Definitely not up to the level of Philly. No. I think Florida's making a comeback, too. The amount of... Yeah, evolves starting yeah. to run there. Uh, Ring of Honor's running there more frequently. Texas, well, NXT. Well, NXT, yeah, yeah, but I don't think they can touch Philly with the amount of great oh, no. shows. Uh, that that week, that Ring of Honor New Japan came, NXT came, and yeah, and you're like, you're like saying. This is ridiculous. And then I went to a Monster Factory show that Saturday. So, so it was, yeah. it was really, it's really ridiculous. Like the great independents that run here and the shitty independents that run here as well. You, they oh, all, yeah. they all can't be great, but, but it, it really is. You, you're lucky. I, I wasn't even old enough to. You did your Exile on Battery podcast on the early 2000s indies with Rob Naylor and Wes... What's his last name? I, I forget. Wes Hatch. Wes Hatch. Uh, it be taped one last night, too. It should be dropping, hopefully, tomorrow or Friday. But by the time this one gets released, and 
and I wasn't old enough to 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 have that resurgence of the indies come in, but but like oh nine ten, I was going to shows constantly. If you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, you were getting older. Yeah, able to appreciate it more. Yeah, and because you, you were you you're nineteen, right? So you were born in ninety five or ninety six. Ninety six. Okay, so you you had your birthday. Yeah, you look at you know these shows that we start talking about. We're starting talking about stuff that happened when you were four years old. And around the time that I was starting to get into wrestling, that's the age you was in, you was at. So, yeah, I mean, it, and and it's believe me, I'm sure it's totally different. If I was four or five years old, and stuff like CCW was around and stuff like that, I don't know. You know, it's just a different thing. It was easier to get into the old school wrestling because of the way just the way everything was. It was just totally different. Right. Uh, what are your favorite lucha matches or Japanese matches, like international matches that you've seen? And oh man, um, Masawa Kawa classics, of course. Right. I had many of them. Uh, Masawa Kobashi, um, any one of their classics ranks up there. New Japan, the uh, the multi man matches. Over the years, the tag matches, whether it's against the UWF guys, the Maeda Takata guys, or uh, the one from 87, the New versus Now factions, um, UWFI stuff with them, and you know, um, some of the, the, the early great stuff from Toriumon was awesome. You know, they're all their great matches they have with Crazy Max and Amano Tokyo and that whole crew. Um, Wow. Michinoku Pro, the, the Kayantai DX against the Michinoku Pro regular army ma- multi-man matches and stuff like that. Great stuff from Japan. Um, Mexico, God. Um, Santo versus L.A. Park from uh, 2001, which was a, from Monterey, which is just a tremendous bloodbath blood of a match. Um, Ray against Psychosis from 95, AAA. Well, some of their matches were, were phenomenal. Ray against Uitu Guerrero in that same time period. Um, Cien Carson mass match against Rodeo Lisco Jr. from 1990, which is one of the greatest matches of all time. Not for work rate, but just for sheer spectacle and the crowd heat. Uh, very similar to like, shoot, what man. Very similar to what Atlantis and Ultimo Guerrero had last year. Yeah, but take that and ramp that up times like five what <laughs> and that crowd can be hotter Ryo, the Alisco Jr. Match. um oh man uh, there's just been so many matches i've watched over here it's hard to this name about name, name them you know it's just it's so many wow yeah yeah uh i was talking to a couple wrestling fans and they think like the smart way of thinking, you know, the smart, the smarky, you know, that type of thinking. Yeah, ru- yeah, yeah. Ruined wrestling, and and how can wrestling improve? And does wrestling need to go back to more over the top characters or the human element that it has right now, with characters like Kevin Owens can continue and wrestling can grow from the human element. Um. 
I don't know if it, it ruined it, 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 it just evolved with the times. You know, uh, that's just the way the world's gone. Everything is more, you know, real, quote unquote. Um, that's, well, look at reality television. You know, it's, it's, the, it's a big boom in that. People want to see, quote, real life, you know, on television shows. And that stuff is as rigged as wrestling is. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's. It, it's just a, it's just different way, different styles of, of doing things these days, and the over top characters you can do them, but you got you got to make it work right. Like Lucha Underground has done a really good job of of having characters like that and getting them over to their fans. It's just it's as you got to condition your fans to believe in in what you're doing, and you can do it. Anything. If you if you did that, if you did, you can condition your fans to believe. Like I said, you can do anything you want. Right. I think that is the number one thing of how wrestling should work is conditioning your fans to suspend their disbelief for three hours. You know, especially when they have troubles in the world, they have different things that are going on, and and you know. Some things work for some people, and some things work for other people. It it just depends on the person and how they react to it. Yeah. All right, let's have some fun now. So, so I'm gonna play along too. So you guys get to know me a little bit. Uh, we can only watch ten matches. Ten matches. For the rest of our life on a desert island, what would they be and why? And we'll alternate. Like, you say a match and why, and I say a match and why. And I have ten matches off the top of my head right now. Does that sound... You want to go first? You want me to go first? You go first. Alright, um... This has already mentioned it. Uh, the first War Games match from, uh... July 4th, 87... The Horsemen against Dusty, uh, Nikita, the Road Warriors, and uh, Paul Ellering. Um, just a great match. You know what I mean, everything you know they built up for almost two years for for that match, and uh, just great performances by everybody. Uh, a smoking hot crowd. Um, like I said. To be there live is some of the, the huge, the hugest pops I've ever heard from fans and stuff like that. And it was the first, the first of that type of match, so it was innovative. And yeah, I mean, I just I, I've watched that match. I don't know how many times, so that, yeah, that would be up there. Um, mine would be a War Games match as well, not the '87 version, but the '91 version from Wrestle War, uh, between Sting Squadron and. The Dangerous Alliance. I thought this match was very well worked. I thought the violence in this match was really high. The intensity was really high. And it's a match that I've watched over and over again. Even though I don't necessarily like like that re- wrestling from that time period. I didn't like the storylines or stuff like that. But I liked that match. Alright, uh, Royal Rumble 92, uh, probably the best Royal Rumble ever. Uh, Ric Flair winning the championship, I think, going an hour. Oh, man. Um, 
just a, a, a classic match with you know, Heenan on commentary going nuts. And then you have a story of, you know, a flair facing all these guys that he used to face as NWA champion, all coming in and out of the ring. So you have all the, these past issues that they play, they can play off of. And just the, the whole thing about, you know, flair winning there, you know, after everything that went on in WCW and the promo afterwards, you know, with the tear in the eye and stuff like that. So yeah, that was a classic one. Um, this is a more current one, and this more goes to when I was growing up. John Cena, JBL, I Quit from Judgment Day 05. This was just brutal. This is what I learned what brutality was. They, these two guys killed each other. John Cena delivers in I Quit matches, and he's delivered in I Quit matches since, but this first performance in an I Quit match was his best. JBL did some great selling in the match, and they built up to a very stark, stark conclusion. It was a little weak, but but what more could you expect after these two guys tore into each other? And it was a bloodbath. The way Cena bled in that match was incredible. So number two was John Cena JBL. I quit. Alright, uh, Blue Panther and Love Machine, mass match from Arena Mexico, April 92. You know, I talked about spectacles, April 5th, 1992, if I'm not mistaken. I'm talking about spectacles, that's one where, I mean, the fans are so hot for for those two. The Blue Panther come, comes to the ring and the fans are singing his theme song and it's just a crazy atmosphere. Uh, playing off a, a year-long feud between the two, and Panther, the Rudo, actually, I mean, Pan, like I said, Panther is the Rudo. He beats Love Machine, Love Machine unmasks Art Bar, which starts a whole new deal, where Art Bar then goes AAA and hooks up with Eddie Guerrero and starts up that legendary tag team. So, but yeah, just a, a classic mass match. Misawa Kobashi January 20th, 1997. This was the first Japanese match I have ever watched after Misawa's death. And I'm sure, sure glad I watched that match because it's physical. The energy of the crowd was there. And even though I haven't watched it in a while, it, it still stands up to when it aired in probably 97 when you remember watching that match. And... To me, it was the pinnacle of me getting into Japanese wrestling, so that's why I choose Masao Kobashi from one twenty ninety seven. Alright, um Freebirds Von Eriks, July fourth, nineteen eighty three. The six man tag titles match, which I talked about in the first ep- episode of Exile on Bad Street. Um hot 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 crowd. I mean, that feud was going on for six months. It was this big match against the, the six, I guess you could say. I mean, they did wrestle off and on in different types of matches, and even in six-man matches. But this was a big match, and uh, atmosphere insane, and the work was great, and great finish, and the Freebirds, you know, just phenomenal at that time period. 
Um, I'm going to go from your favorite year, 89. And I'm going to select not the Great American Bash Ric Flair Terry Funk, but the Ric Flair Terry Funk I Quit from Clash of the Champions 9 on TBS. This match is just incredible. <laughs> like, Terry Funk... And I discovered Terry Funk when I was... When the whole ECW invasion, I brought the Bloodsport ECW DVD, if you remember that DVD being released, and seeing him seeing him in the barbed wire match. Yeah. And then I researched Terry Funk, and the first thing that came up was this I Quit match with Ric Flair, and boy, and I've watched it many times since, and... And it's just a beautiful match. It's beautifully wrestled. It's a I quit match that, you know, isn't as violent as you wanted. It's as violent as you wanted to be. Blood would have made it better, but my God, these two guys were trying hard. They were killing each other for that moment. And, and that's the kind of match that I love. Yeah, it was a classic match. Um, let's see. I mean, I guess I, um, I'll plug my uh, Exxon Bad Street episode five here, which is the first half of the 88 Crockett show was Ric Flair and Steen at the Cl- Clash One, where um, Steen became a made man in one night, going to the uh, the 45-minute draw. Uh, one of Jim Ross's best calls in his career. Uh, both Flair doing a tremendous job of getting Sting over and Sting doing a great job of hanging with Flair and it was just a classic match that was aired over and over again after the fact on different TBS specials and, and recognized as the greatest clash match ever Undertaker Shawn Michaels Wrestlemania 25 the greatest match I've seen uh Live in front of a television screen I've ever seen. It was just a beautiful match to watch. Undertaker and Shawn Michaels, two experts, two class acts, going at it and wrestling the perfect match. And the fact that Dave Meltzer did not give that match five stars is an atrocity to this day. (laughs) I have to say that. Yeah, it was quite the spectacle. Uh, I'll give you that one. Um, I'll pick a Mania match. Um, Hogan Warrior, WrestleMania 5. Six. Definitely not because of the work. But uh, even though it was, for them, it was a good match. But uh, just the whole story of everything that went into it and the Warrior going over. Although you could say Hogan stole his heat at the end. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they, I mean, it was Hogan's big loss, his first big loss, you know, in uh, six years. So, yeah, and, and, and you, I mean, it should have led to some business, but it didn't. But for one night, it was uh, quite the match. John Cena, CM Punk, Money in the Bank. The perfect storm arised when CM Punk, dropped the pipe bomb, and Chicago was alive for 
his match against John Cena, the whole crowd was rooting for the heel. That's something that has never been seen from the whole crowd rooting for the wrong guy and never seen and will never be seen again because of the investment Chicago has in CM Punk. At the same time, you see this this beauty of a match and John Cena does not get enough credit. And I have two John Cena matches on this list. I think John Cena is a hard worker. I think John Cena can wrestle with the best of them when he tries. I thought he wrestled a great match with Kevin Owens on Sunday. It, but Cena Punk was that perfect storm for what wrestling needed in 2011. And sort of bolted us into the era we have now. So, for that match being as influential as it is, uh, I have to put that on my list. Um, Ric Flair, uh, Ted DiBiase from Mid-South Television on November 1985. It was taped November 6th. And um, it, the, the match was, you know, what it was. But it was all the whole angle and spectacle involved with Dick Murdoch giving the brain busters on the floor to DiBiase and DiBiase who was the, the most hated man in Mid-South now turning into the most loved man in Mid-South in one night and uh, the fantastic story of getting Flair over getting the DiBiase Murdoch feud over huge and just uh, uh, one of the best TV shows I, I remember watching as a kid Toma Hiroishi versus Katsutori Shibata. This is the match that opened my door to New Japan Pro Wrestling right now. And that's why I'm so addicted to it right now. It's it's a match where two bulls go into the, the rodeo and one bull comes out a winner, one bull comes out a loser. It's that type of match and it's that type of finish where you just... Sit back, relax, and watch the two bulls fight it out. And they beat the living hell out of each other. You know what I mean? It, it was just a great match. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was one of the be best matches of the last year. Um, wow, let me think here. Um, We're at seven. So got, what's that? <laughs> We're at seven right now. So okay. hard. Uh, oh, there's just so many to choose from. Um, I guess, yeah, Flair, you know, I mentioned earlier, Flair Steamboat's eight, uh, the second match of the trilogy, the one from New Orleans, the Clash match, which is the two out of three falls, where, I mean, and then one night they got uh, the chicken wing uh, arm lock over as a finisher, as Flair submitted to it. Uh, just tremendous match. Um the Superdome, there went a whole lot of people in the Superdome that night, or that afternoon, because they went up against WrestleMania. But, it, I mean, they were into everything. Uh, Terry Funk was on commentary with Ross, and they were great at selling everything that was going on. Um, yeah, just two guys that, I don't know if they ever really had a bad match against each other. And this was one of my favorite of all their matches. Wow. Um 
Randy Savage versus Ricky Steamboat. Again, just a masterpiece. And the true match of the night at WrestleMania 3. Even though Hogan Andre was the spectacle that it was and got wrestling, 93,000 people in that seat, they were captivated by Savage Steamboat. And, and the interference helped, but it was just a beautiful mastery of two guys at their prime wrestling. And that's how I like my wrestling, is two guys at the peak of their prime fighting at it for, for a belt. And the Intercontinental title hasn't been that prominent since that day in Pontiac, Michigan. Uh, Jerry Lola Bill Dundee, uh, Loose Leaf Town match, Nutch 83. Um, maybe the best hour of wrestling, hour and a half of wrestling, uh, before the television, leading up to that match, as they just went over the entire feud, going into it, and, uh, just great performances by both men and promos and stuff like that and getting it over. And then the actual match, just a phenomenal match. I mean, both men just putting it all out there and uh, Lawler getting the big win, sending Dundee packing. And they would have two more down the line that were really great too. But the first one, just a phenomenal match. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I've never seen that match. But I I could think it was a phenomenal spectacle to to see Jerry Lawler and Bill Dundee beating the living crap out of each other in a loser leafs town match. So for my ninth selection, uh this is getting hard. I would have to go with the Can Am Express. This is a match I recently watched for the first time. The Can-Am Express versus Kobashi and Kikuchi from from 92. This, oh, yeah. This match was incredible. The crowd heat, they just ate up everything that these four did. They had the crowd at the palm of their hands. And we're talking... And when we talk about these matches, we don't necessarily talk about the moves. We talk about the moments, and we talk about the crowd reactions they have to these moments. Because, because what Farad Derry told me, the matches are not all about the moves. They are about the moments, and how the crowd reacts to those moments. And, and that boy was a moment in Kurgan Hall. As those four had the crowd in the palm of their hand. The loudest Japanese crowd I've ever heard. And they were into everything. And it was... And I'm using the word incredible a lot. But it's just incredible to see. Like, like crowds get hot when... Nowadays, crowds don't get hot. And... And there's only, like, once a year we look forward to where a crowd gets hot. You know what I mean? And that match is the epitome of a crowd getting hot. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Flair Vader, Starcade 93. Um, the story that was told about this could be Flair's last chance. Well, that's funny. That he would win the title and, you know, in Charlotte. And they had the deal where Flair and his family were interviewed at Flair's home and all this other stuff, you know, building up, you know, big time. And then the, the match comes and Vader just beats the hell out of him. And then Flair makes this great comeback. His, I think he had some teeth knocked out and just bleeding. And he makes the big comeback and beats Vader. And the crowd goes absolutely nuts, you know, in Charlotte. And, yeah, just one the... And on top here, when WCW was having a lot of hard times, that was one of the, the true uh, treasures of the era. Um, my last match is uh, Magnum TA versus Tully Blanchard Steel Cage I Quit match. Oh, Th- yeah. This match was violent. It was gritty. They were slamming each other's heads into the cage. They were using spikes. And, and, yeah, just what, what brutality is and what hatred is in wrestling is what that Magnum T.A. Tully Blanchard, Clay Cage, I Quit match was. Yeah, probably the greatest cage match ever. Yeah. Because the cage match really hasn't been... The same since maybe when blood was crossed out of WWE because it's not a blood feud anymore. The cage doesn't symbolize what it used to be. Yeah. Yeah, it used to be the end of the feud and as a blow off match and stuff like that, but. Yeah, nowadays they'll just have it on a random Raw or something like that. So. They do it. They made yeah. event house shows with cage matches. Well, I mean, back in the day, that's all they all they were on was house shows. You never saw them on television. So, I mean, yeah, it is what that is what it is. But yeah, it's just a different a, a different era. Yeah. So, after that little exercise, did you have fun with that exercise? That was cool. Like, like, I was th- thinking, like, maybe, I, I do, like, a s- little segment on my, my, uh, show that I do, like, the Ditch Archive segment, where I go back and, go back into the Ditch Archive, which is a great resource for wrestling, and, and go back and watch a match from that archive, because it, Helps me better understand Japanese wrestling, and it helps me better understand wrestling as a whole because these wrestlers are great at their prime, and and I might extend that to a WWE Network pick too, where I watch something from the network and and see what all the greatness is about, you know, and that's where I sort of took that idea from. So, so if you were to have dinner with any of only five wrestlers, who would they be? Oh man, uh, Flair, uh, Dusty, uh, Savage. 
uh, Lawler, and uh, uh, Terry Funk. We agree on two of I them. I think those five. Terry Funk and Flair. Austin. Uh. Let me. Liger. Even though he wouldn't understand anything of, of the conversation. Liger. And. He knows English. Oh, he. <laughs> yeah, he knows. Yeah, yeah, he worked Canada. He's worked England. Liger would understand then. And then. Fifth, Punk. Because that is one that is one of my idols and and it's hard to say now with all the uh uh trouble that punk's gone through and stuff like that it's just really he would he growing up and growing up in an alcoholic household he was he really stood out to me and that's the attachment that wrestling can can grow. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, yeah, that's what, what Punk has meant to me, but, hey, but, thank you, Chris, for coming on the show. Oh, no problem. I had a lot of fun interviewing you, and, and talking about various things in wrestling. I learned a lot today, as well. Anything you want to plug? Yeah, uh, Exxon Bad Street. Like I said, the, uh, the, the by the time this show airs, hopefully the episode seven will be dropping, uh, which we talking about the Indi- Indies from the early two thousands again with uh, West Hatcher, Rob Naylor. Um, you go to placebnation dot com and you can find the other old shows I've done. Um, like I just had the, the two part series on nineteen eighty eight Jim Crockett Promotions and stuff like that, and the Lucha Report. The death of the um, UWF. DVBR, which I just put up one today. Uh, they go up four, three to four times a week. Um, that's, and follow me on Twitter, at Chris Zellner. K-R-I-S-Z-E-L-L-N-E-R. And uh, that's about it. All right. Thank you for listening to Get in the Ring. <laughs>